bow our hearts as we pray. Elohei Avraham, Elohei Yitzhak, Elohei Yaakov, Elohei Yeshua, Mishikenu, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, and God of Jacob. God of Yeshua, our Messiah, we thank you and we bless you today. Lord, speak to our hearts. Help us to gain, Lord, an eternal perspective on our lives, on all that we say, all that we do, God. Father, that we would be those who would be fruitful for your kingdom and for your glory. Help us, give us eyes to see and ears to hear what your Ruach would say. We ask you, Peshem Yeshua, and God's people said, Amen. Today we're starting a new series entitled, What's in Your Eternal Portfolio? Well, perhaps you don't have an earthly portfolio that you have to spend a lot of time managing. Um, However, as believers in Yeshua... And as a member of the Malchut Elohim, the kingdom of God, each one of us absolutely have an eternal portfolio. And how you manage your life is really important and significant in this world. What you do with your life and how you manage it. The things that you invest in will either live on for eternity... All they'll be burned up, as the scriptures say. How many of us want that everything we do, I mean, we say everything, but at least uh, in the high 90s, that we do and say would be of eternal value, right? We're living, after all, not for this world. This world, the scripture says, is but a vapor. But eternity is forever. The scripture says, lay up your treasures where? On earth? No, but in heaven. And so that is what we'll be speaking about over the next several weeks. But it made me think, what is a portfolio, right? We hear about it in the financial arena, portfolios, and maybe you have one, maybe you don't. Um, It's a collection of assets held by an individual. I find that believers generally know the major points of the kingdom and what they signed up for, but many fail to read the fine print. So people know that God is love and that they are saved by grace through faith. They understand that they have been called out of darkness into his wonderful light. They probably could recite at least five of the Ten Commandments. Yet the vast majority of believers feel a responsibility to have some kind of regular devotions and do their very best living their lives in this world. Those are the big things. Those are the things that grab our attention. Now, if these are the big, bold print, then today I want to focus on the fine print. Don't you ever know that it's always in the details? That's why when they try to sell you a car, right, the $99, you ever see these commercials? And I know it's not true, but it does grab your attention. Wow, I could have that vehicle for $99 a month, really? Isn't that like a $54,000 truck? And they say, I could have it for $99 a month? Yeah, but when you read the fine print, you know, it's $7,000 down and uh, half your life, <laughs> you know, to get it. Because it's the fine print, those little details are what really come to bear on our lives, Right? It's not the $99. Yeah, you'll pay $99 after you pay everything else they want you to pay. And so with the word of God, yeah, God has this declaration of the Ten Commandments. But yet he gave Moshe not only the Ten, but all the fine print to follow. And it's that fine print that allows us to live a successful life. So I want to encourage each of us to come to terms with that calling and responsibility. I say this so that each and every one of us will grow in our understanding of the rules that God has laid out for us in the scripture to ensure that we all enjoy the benefits of a robust, eternal portfolio. Wouldn't you like that? That's what really matters in the world. So I'm going to draw your attention to Matthew chapter 25. We have it here in the PowerPoint. Um, But if you want to follow along, uh, 
in your Bibles, you can. For it will be like a man about to leave home for a while who entrusted his possessions to his servants. To one he gave five talents, equivalent to a hundred years' wages. To another, two talents, and to another, one talent. To each according to his ability, and then he left. Then the one who received five talents immediately went out, invested it, and earned another five. Similarly, the one given two earned another two, but the one given one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned to settle accounts with them. The one who had received five talents came forward, bringing the other five, and said, Sir, you gave me five talents. Here, I have made five more. His master said to him, Excellent, you are a good and trustworthy servant. You have been faithful with a small amount, so I will put you in charge of a large amount. Come and join in your master's happiness. Also, the one who had received two came forward and said, Sir, you gave me two talents. Here I have made two more. His master said to him, Excellent. You're a good and trustworthy servant. You have been faithful with a small amount, so I will put you in charge of a large amount. Come and join in your master's happiness. How many want to join in the master's happiness? Because I'm going to tell you, God is pretty happy. You know, he's a happy guy. We think of God not in those terms because we see pictures of him and he looks a little somber. But you know what? God is a happy person or happy God. Now, the one who had received one talent came forward and said, I knew that you were a hard man. You harvest where you didn't plant and gather where you didn't grow, didn't sow seed. I was afraid. So I went in and hid your talent in the ground. Here, take what belongs to you, you wicked, lazy servant, said his master. So you knew, or thought you knew, did you, that I harvest where I haven't planted and that I gather where I didn't sow seed? Then you should have deposited my money with the bankers so that when I returned, I would at least have gotten back interest with my capital. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten For everyone who has something will be given more, so that he will have more than enough. But from anyone who has nothing, even what he does have will be taken away. As for this worthless servant, throw him out in the dark, where people will wail and grind their teeth. In this mishal, or parable, we can see that God has an expectation. Right? He has an expectation of return concerning the things that he entrusts to us. We don't think of God like that. I tell you, we don't. In spiritual arenas throughout the Western world, we think of God as almost like a divine ATM. When we need something, we go and get from God, that God just gives to us. And he does give us things. But he entrusts us things to manage for his glory. Not just for us, but for his glory. So let's delve deeper into the fine print so we can come to truly understand what God is asking us. I'm going to give you... Four rules today that, when understood, will help us direct the assets of our entire lives in a way that will be pleasing to God and beneficial for us. The first rule is the rule of ownership. The psalmist begins the 21st Psalm with these words. The earth is the Lord's, right? And everything, say everything, everything in it, the world... And all, say all, and all who live in it. So that tells me that everything you see on this created globe and every person in it belongs to God. Uh, 
sometimes we think that things belong to us. And here's the danger in that. When we think things belong to us, we do what we want with them. This is the fundamental principle of ensuring a robust, eternal portfolio. God owns everything. We are simply managers or administrators acting in his behalf. There is not one thing that we have that we can claim ownership of. Everything that we have, everything that we are belongs to God. We get the privilege to manage the resources that God has placed in our lives. Think about it. Every faculty you have, your power of thinking or of moving your limbs from moment to moment is given to you by God. Everything. I was thankful of that this morning. Because I want to tell you, today was a two-a-leave day for me. I got out of bed when I was like, Carol... I usually don't like to take those things. I said, Carol, I'm going to have to take two leaves today because I was stiff and sore. It was crazy. But I was so grateful that everything was bending and moving. And you know what? That was given by God to us to be stewards of. That was a C.S. Lewis quote, by the way. Every faculty you have, your power of thinking or moving your limbs from moment to moment is given to you by God. If you devoted every moment of your whole life exclusively to his service, you could not give him anything that was not, in a sense, his own already. Everything belongs to God. So if you haven't figured it out yet, we're talking about biblical stewardship. God has entrusted us to manage his business. Isn't that cool? We're called ambassadors in another place. He's encouraged us to represent him on this earth in every way. I mean, is it just me? What a privilege. Who are we that God would entrust this to us? But he does. In the beginning of Genesis, Bereshit, God creates everything and puts Adam in the garden to work it and to take care of it. Right? He entrusts it to Adam. He makes everything and lets Adam be in charge. It's clear that man was created to work and that work is the stewardship of all the creation that God has given. The word stewardship comes from the Greek word Oikonomos, which means somebody who manages a household. A person doesn't own the household, but is responsible to manage it. And stewards in the ancient world, of course, were trusted with everything from seeing that the floors were clean to the finances to the public face of that particular household. Joseph is a good biblical example of that, right? He was put in charge to manage several times. We would be hard-pressed to find another biblical character that was as faithful to his responsibility to serve serve as a steward as Joseph was. So let's read a passage from Bereshit. Yosef pleased him, when he's speaking of Potiphar, as he served him. And his master appointed him manager of his household. He entrusted all his possessions. Say all his possessions. First of all, think of the gravity of that statement. Yosef is a Hebrew slave. And Potiphar entrusts Yosef with all his possessions. From the time he appointed him manager of his household and all his possessions, Adonai blessed the Egyptian's household for Yosef's sake. Adonai's blessing was on all he owned, whether in the house or in the field. So he left all his possession in Yosef's care, and because he had him, he paid no attention to his affairs except for the food he ate. He had no worries 
because Yosef was so faithful and responsible for Potiphar's belongings. Yosef understood this important rule of stewardship and managing for others. He knew that the owner was putting his trust and confidence in him to treat his possessions with the very best of his ability and attention. Because Yosef understood this rule and understood the possessions were his masters and treated them as such, God blessed them for the sake of Yosef. I want to tell you that... Yosef doing that and realize he's increasing someone else's house in this case, right? Yosef is really not benefiting from this. It's his master that's benefiting directly. But Yosef will benefit greatly later on, as we'll see. Yosef, by being faithful and understanding this rule of ownership, right, is going to benefit greatly. And God is going to use Yosef's faithfulness to save the world. Because Yosef understood this rule, and he got it, Yosef knew also that what wasn't in his charge, he knew his boundaries. And so, when Potiphar's wife makes an advancement toward Yosef, remember that? Yosef said this, in this house... I am his equal. He hasn't withheld anything from me except yourself. Because you are his wife, then how could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? You see, Yosef knew what he was put in charge of, and he knew not to touch what he wasn't in charge of. That's being a faithful steward. He knew his boundaries. He knew what God had given him to do, we know from a later revelation that Yosef has, Yosef knows that God put him there, that God put him in this spot. And so because he knew that he was faithful and he was diligent, that Potiphar's house increased and excelled. In Devarim 8, it says, you may say to yourself, and maybe Joseph said this, maybe you say this about your life, my power And the strength of my hands have produced this wealth and this success for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. That ability of Yosef to do what he did for Potiphar came from God. He gave him his ability to be someone who, by his faithfulness and understanding the rule of ownership, was able to see increase in a great way to someone else's house. Understand the rule of ownership, that God owns it all, including you and I, and you'll do well. The second thing is, The second rule is the rule of responsibility. Although God gives us all things to richly enjoy, nothing is ours. Like we said, nothing really belongs to us. God owns everything. We're responsible, though, for how we treat it and what we do with it. While we complain about our rights here on earth, the scriptures constantly ask us, what about your responsibilities? So owners have rights because it's theirs. Stewards have responsibilities. In a 1989, uh, in 1989, a family in West Palm Beach, Florida, gave permission to the film crew of the TV show B.L. Stryker. Anyone remember that TV show, B.L. Stryker? I didn't remember it either. I had to, I had to Google it. B.L. Stryker, it was Burt Reynolds. Remember it now? No? Anyway, B.L. Stryker, to use their front lawn as a set for a dramatic car crash scene. Well, 
But while their front yard was being blown up, the owner of the house called from New York, demanding to know what was going on. It turns out that the family who gave permission were renters, not owners. And the owner is saying, what in the world are you doing to my house? The house doesn't belong to you to give permission for them to blow up my front yard. You see, owners have rights. Stewards, managers have responsibilities. So um, he obviously held everyone accountable for what they did and for his property, and those renters had to come up with a couple of shekels to pay for everything. But the point is, they weren't very responsible, right, to manage the house for the owner. Um, Galatians 6.5 tells us, make a careful, say careful, not a haphazard, not, a, not a just on a whim, not um, reactionary, but make a careful exploration of who you are and the work you have been given. And then sink yourself into that. Don't be impressed with yourself. Don't compare yourself with others. Each of you must take responsibility for doing the creative best you can with your own life. It's talking about stewardship. What are you doing with your life? Are you doing the very best to manage it in light of God? What he's given to you, your talents, your gifts, your life. It says take careful exploration of that. Why? Why does he say that? It's not really meant to be a heavy. He says, take careful exploration of that because it's really important. How many of us would sit down to sign a mortgage for a house and just, okay, whatever you want me to sign? No, you take careful exploration of what's going on. In the same way, God is saying that about our lives. Here we can understand that God expects us to be responsible for how we conduct our lives. It's not just about us doing what we want, but being responsible for the work we have been given by him. In 2 Corinthians, it says, chapter 2 and verse 9, it says, The focus of my letter wasn't on punishing the offender, but on getting you to take responsibility for the health of the kehilah. See, he was, he was writing to this congregation and saying, you're responsible for the health of the body. Because they were stewards. We apply this to being responsible stewards of what God has entrusted to us. Each one of us. You have kids? I want to tell you, you're a steward. Do you think that child belongs to you, don't you? Wrong. It belongs to God. Okay, I know we had the baby dedication and you said the words, but you really thought they belonged to you. You said, oh, I dedicate them back to God. And then you left and said, yeah, 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 yeah. Not consciously, but subconsciously thinking they're mine. And God's saying, no, (laughs) I am allowing you to steward them. To train them, to do the right thing by them. To be careful how you treat them. To provide for them. Ah, yeah, you thought that God just doesn't really care. He just pulled back. No, he wants you to be a faithful steward. Husbands. I know there are wives, so we say. But they belong to God. And you know what? The way we steward our marriages... Really important. God cares how we steward our marriage. How much time we invest into the partner that God has given us for his work in glory. God is concerned how we treat them and how we care for them. How we speak to them. That we would take careful exploration in how we're dealing with the spouse that God put in our life is important to God. Oh, I know, you thought when you stood under the chuppah and said all those nice things, 
with God as the cord that tied you together, that that was kind of uh, what? The hyperbole? Just a nice little ceremony? No, that was God saying, now you're responsible to manage this relationship. How many of you know that relationships take a lot of work? Marriage relationships take a lot of work. No, you can't just say good morning to your wife and good night to your wife. Hawk down your dinner and go sit in front of the TV and think your marriage is great. I want to tell you, if that's what you do, your marriage needs work. Okay? It needs attention. Constant. And it's worthy of that attention. It's a responsibility. See, we like to take ownership or stewardship of things, but then we want to neglect it. That's not what God is looking for. He wants us. We're going to take responsibility for something, then take care of it. I gave you this wife that you prayed for, Michael. Now take care of her, right? I've given you the kids you longed for. Now do right by them. Hey, and doing right by them, P.S., isn't just making sure they get to soccer practice and to after-school activities, but to train them in the ways of the Lord. Do you think the God who entrusted them to you is maybe a little bit more interested in how you train them up in the Lord than soccer? Not that soccer is bad. I'm more of a football fan myself, but if you like soccer, it's okay. It's about being responsible. You see, the one who had received five talents came forward bringing the other five and said, Sir, you gave me five, and here I've made five more. I was responsible. And his master said to him, excellent, you are a trustworthy servant. I've given you something. See, it's not just about money. I've given you something. I've given you a talent, an ability. What are you doing with it? Another way to say that is that the servant was responsible to do the right thing with the owner's property, meaning, in this case, God. This is true in every area of our lives. How about with your health? How do you manage that? Yeah, that's a tough one. Do you know what? We're quick to pray God heal us. And he wants to, and he does. And he's faithful. And he knows when we're awake and hurting and in pain. But do you know what? God also wants us to be good stewards of the body he's given us. He does. Now, again, we can blow it off to our detriment. But he wants us to be responsible. And who benefits at the end? We do. Be responsible to your area of service, to your finances, to your prayer life. God's, I mean, this blows me away. I pray every day. And every time I get into my prayer closet, so to speak, and pray and sense the presence of God, I say to myself, is this for real? (laughs) That the God that made everything I see and don't see has any desire whatsoever to meet with me. And that I have a privilege that I could go to this invisible, omnipotent, awesome God and pray to him and he hears me. We have a responsibility that we've been given this wonderful access. 
And sometimes we just pass it up. God is looking for us to be responsible. Understanding he owns it and being responsible for what he's given to us. What about the Bessarah? The very message. Hey, we all can see the TV, right? You see all these maniacs, okay, around the world blowing people up, frothing at the mouth, right? Filled with hatred and anger, coming against Jewish people because they're Jewish. <laughs> no other reason. Not only Jewish people now, any person, because they're filled with hate and violence. God's given us an answer to that. It's called the Bessarah, the good news that could change a human heart. We're responsible for that. Just a thought. You see, the word ministry in both Greek and Hebrew is the same word as servant. That's what it means. And servants are people who are at the disposal of another. They are responsible to do what the master has given them to do. So once we replace the word ministry with the word service, we begin to see that stewardship is ministry in the sense that all of us, not just rabbis or leaders, are responsible to do what God wants and are accountable to him. Of course, we hope to do that in the power of the Ruach with the anointing of God and all of that. But the truth is we are responsible. So stewardship implies the responsible care of people, resources, gifts, and talents, and the grace of God. So if you haven't been trustworthy, responsible, says Luke 16, in handling worldly wealth, who is going to trust you with the real thing? And if you haven't been trustworthy with what belongs to someone else, who will give you what ought to belong to you? In other words, we've been entrusted with many things, large and small, from God. If we can't be faithful with these little things, Yosef was promoted, and we'll see this in a little while, because he was faithful in these little things. You know, think about the things Joseph was taking care of. Potiphar's horses. <laughs> Making sure the floors got clean in Potiphar's house. Like, how does that change the world, right? I mean, think about these things. He, you know, making sure Potiphar's pantry had his favorite goodie in it. You know, maybe dried chickpeas or whatever they ate in the ancient world. You know, a little, you know, whatever it is dried raisins or whatnot. And that's what Joseph was tasked to do. Not life-changing. But he did them and he did them well. He did those little insignificant things for someone else that they would be blessed. And God was watching the whole time. So after responsibility, we need to look at the rule of accountability. My greatest thought is my accountability to God, said Daniel Webster. My greatest thought. Is that your greatest thought? Man, let me ask you, did you ever even have that thought? He said, my greatest thought is my accountability to God. Have you ever thought in your life that you were accountable to God? I'm sure you have. But he labels that as his greatest thought. That I am accountable to God on this earth. A steward is one who manages the possessions of another. Right? We're all stewards of resources, abilities, opportunities that God entrusts to us. And one day, each one of us will be called to give an account for how we have managed what the master has given. This is a maxim taught by the parable of the talents, that God has entrusted authority over creation to us. Think about it. And we are not allowed to rule over it as we see fit. We are called to exercise our dominion under the watchful eye of the creator, managing his creation in accord with the principles he has established. In other words, when you know that you're accountable, I could see this in my kids. I might ask my son to do something, and as he's doing it, he's looking back kind of, Dad, am I getting this right? Is this what you wanted me to do? 
because he understands that he's accountable to me on how that gets done. And if I say, Josiah, go take care of the snowblower. And he'll go and come back and he'll check, Dad, am I doing it right? Is that what you want? He understands he's accountable. He can't just go and do whatever he wants and throw some, you know, two-cycle fuel in the, in the snowblower and ruin it, right? He can't just do what he wants. That sounds good. Let's just do it. No, he's accountable to me. We're accountable to God. We can't just manage the things he gives us any old way we want. Being accountable means I'm always checking back with God. God, are we, are, am I doing this right? Are we getting it right? Are we managing it right? Why? Because we care about God. We care. We love God. And we want to get it right. The rights of the whole in some ways precede the rights of the individual. We do have an individual responsibility in the home, among our family, and in our neighborhoods, within the kehila and workplace. But we should think of stewardship in broader terms than we do. Often stewardship is thought of as primarily a financial discipline when you talk about stewardships in the context of a congregation. However, we must recognize that we are trustees of talents, gifts, time, treasure, and the culture and values in the society around us as well as our finances. Everything. We are stewards. And God is watching. How you doing? Not in a bad way, guys. Not in a bad way. He's not looking to pounce. He's but wanting for us to check in. How are we doing, God? Are we getting this right? And it's that accountability, P.S., that keeps us on the straight and narrow when we're accountable and we understand we're accountable. If I don't think I'm accountable... Uh, let me give you this illustration. And this has happened before. Carol, I have to go get a couple of things, and you'll know when I say the place. At the music store. And she'll say, well, you have the checkbook. And inside I'll go, Really? Because, you know, that's like a really fun place to be for me. Only problem with the music store is that everything in the music store is a little expensive. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So me in the music store, that's why in my house, when those musician friend magazines come in, I'll say, Carol, did we get one of those magazines in last week? Oh, yeah, I put it out. You know, it's gone. The thing's shredded. She wants that shredded before I get any ideas that I need a new keyboard or a guitar or whatever, a foot pedal, as you can see. You know, she doesn't want me to get any ideas that I might need anything from the from the from the music store. But the truth is, when she says that, you know, you have the the checkbook. Now I know what that means. Inside, oh, I have the checkbook. I could really probably get anything I want. But then when I'm at the counter. And I say, well, maybe I should get that, but that was a little steep. I feel an accountability checking me down, saying, well, that one's that one's seventy nine ninety nine. That's the better one. How many times am I going to use it? <laughs> Once or twice, the twenty oh nine dollar, then there's the one for nine ninety nine. And I feel that accountability kicking in, and the accountability wins. Because I understand that I just can't do whatever I want with these resources. Yeah, do I want to sit down where they have the grand pianos? And say, I'll take two of these, one of each color, and uh, here's the card. Of course you do. But then you say to yourself, I can't do that. It's not the right thing to do. I'm accountable to someone for this. And that's the way we ought to look at God. We're accountable. Yeah, God says, I've given you all these things to enjoy. But we're still accountable. And now for the last rule, and 
guys were going to have coffee and bagels today, huh? What do you think of that? You know, let's, let's dismiss the myth. You could have a bagel. As long as you don't have a bagel all the time, okay, you have a bagel, right? Not ten bagels. You have a bagel, you know what I'm saying? The last one is the rule of reward. God gives these laws and these rules for us Because ultimately, he's looking to reward us. That's what he wants. These are the laws of the harvest. Know these. I have to say, I'll give the shout out to Rebecca and Bob. Um, your son sent us a letter maybe a couple of months ago. He said, Robert Michael, I just want to let you know that I remember the things you taught us. And he rattled off about eight or nine things. And the laws of the harvest were were some of the things he mentioned in that letter. And we're talking about many, many moons ago. And he retained them. And I'll just go out on a limb and say, they're serving him well. I'm not lying. It's the truth. They're serving as well. Ask mom and dad. (laughs) But the laws of the harvest are this. And as people who are stewards of the affairs and resources God has entrusted to us, we need to understand that you reap what you sow. Not just in finances. In finances, but in every area. You reap what you sow. In your marriage, you reap what you sow. At work, you reap what you sow. With your generosity, you reap what you sow. And you reap after you sow. That's an important rule. Everyone, I will be faithful, God, once you give it to me. God, I'll be a faithful wife, a faithful husband after you set them straight and they change, then I'll be faithful. God, when you give me $2 million, when I hit that Powerball for, what was it? Some ungodly amount? Billion dollars, whatever it was. How much? Yeah, one point four. After I hit that, God, I'm going to tithe like there's no tomorrow. But the truth is, that's not how the laws of the harvest work. You reap what you sow, but you reap after you sow. God doesn't give it to you before you sow it. He gives it to you after you sow it. And here's the best part. Everyone likes going to like the next part of this law. The third part of the law of the harvest is you reap more than you sow. One seed produces a tree that produces lots of apples, and those apples fall down and produce more trees that produce an orchard from one seed. That's the law of the harvest. So I know what we do. We get the seed, and we think we're smart. I got a handful of seed. Awesome. So great. I got seed. And this could be anything. It's not just anything. I got seed. I got some generosity in me. You know what I'm going to do with it? Because oh, I'm so happy that I got, I'm going to eat it. That was good. And you eat the seed. And you think that was the blessing from God. That was it. That he gave you the seed was the blessing. Wrong. The blessing was if you take that seed and you give it away. <laughs> and you give it away. Throw it out. That seed now will be a powerful tool in your life because that seed that you could have ate and kept, and, you know, and, and, and God's not going to do anything, for, you know, about it. It's your seed. Eat it. Go ahead. He can. But he's waiting to see what you'll do with it because when you sow the seed, those seeds produce far greater harvest than you would ever got just from eating it once. It will produce food for you for years to come. 
You reap what you sow, you reap after you sow, and you reap more than you sow. Colossians 3.23, Shaul writes, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. Say all. As working for the Lord. Can I tell you? I was down here, and by about 7.30 at night, I'm pushing the snowblower through this snow that was so thick, I wanted to cry. My hip is bothering me. I'm exhausted, tired, and this is what I said. I have an option here, God, <laughs> to complain and kvetch. And it was right about here, you know. It was like, it started to tingle my lips. And instead, I was just started to sing a song to the Lord. You know, just bless the Lord and bless his name. Because you know what? I thought about it. What a privilege I, I, I had to serve God in that way. This is God's house. It's his property. I got to serve him in that way. To serve people so they could come unhindered today. That was an opportunity. I had an opportunity before me. What am I going to do with this? Right? And we always have opportunities. What do you do with it? God rewards us when we do the right thing always. Scriptures show us in the parables of the kingdom that faithful stewards do the master's will with the master's resources. Those who do that can expect to be rewarded in this life and fully in the next. And look what he says. Well done. Well done. Don't you want to hear that? Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things, and I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. You know, maybe we're not as happy as we could be. Because, you know what, I could be happy with a handful of seeds, providing they're the right things. Cashews. <laughs> okay. I could be happy with a handful. But that's not the same happiness as the master's happiness. He's living on another level of happiness. You know what I'm saying? He's really happy. And so maybe we never attained to that because we're not taking careful consideration of how we're stewarding his stuff. Let's see how it worked for Yosef. We mentioned Yosef several times, and we're ending. We smell the coffee? Did we work that out? <laughs> Another coffee? <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, we have this thing, if you wonder, it's always a miracle when you walk upstairs and there's coffee. Because we've yet to figure out which plug works and which plug does the breaker pop every time you put on the coffee pot. And it's always a mystery. We've only done it like a thousand times. But every time, it's like, is the coffee going to be on or off? And I know you guys have walked up there when it's been off. <laughs> and you've had to wait a while for your coffee. So we're trusting today that the coffee is humming along as it should. Let's see how it worked for Yosef. It says in Bereshit 41, you will be in charge of my household. All my people will be ruled by what you say. Only when I, now who's talking to him? It's not Potiphar anymore. It's not the jailer in the prison anymore. You know who's talking to him now? Pharaoh himself is talking to Yosef. Because Yosef was faithful with Potiphar's stuff, because Yosef was faithful to rule in the jail and do it excellently and steward every responsibility he was given, all of a sudden he got called up to the big leagues. Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world. And this is what he said, you will be in charge of my household. All my people will be ruled by what you say. How's that for a reward? Only when I rule from my throne will I be greater than you. Pharaoh said to Yosef, Here, I place you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Pharaoh took his signet ring off his hand and put it on Yosef's hand. I mean, get the gravity of that. I mean, the Pharaoh, you know, it's making him sound like he's a nice guy, right? 
He's not. Making him sound like he's generous. He's not. He's tyrannical. He's an oppressor of people. Bad guy. But look at what Joseph's falling into. Why is this happening? He took his signet ring off his hand and put it on Joseph's hand, and he clothed him with fine linen, with gold chains around his neck. He looked like Mr. T. Are you kidding me? Why did that happen to Yosef? Because he was a faithful steward. He understood who owned it. He was responsible for it, accountable to it. And he reaped the reward. The scripture says this. That where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He's saying that... We do, what we do with our lives, our time, our faith, our money, our possessions reveals our real priorities. It's that simple. So when we talk about reading the fine print and understanding the rules of stewardship, it is not secular or non-spiritual. God is talking to us about a spiritual thermometer, a way to measure what is really going on in our heart with God. The way we handle what God has entrusted to us tells us where we're at with God. I want to close with this story. And though the following story comes from the distant past, it speaks forcefully to the present. And here it is. King Henry IV of France once asked the Duke of Alva if he had observed the great eclipse of the sun that had recently occurred. No, said the Duke. I have so much to do on the earth that I have no leisure to look up into heaven. Commenting on this, Thomas Brooks said, It is sad to think how heart and time are so taken up with earthly things that we have no leisure to look to Messiah and the things that belong to everlasting peace. Yes, how foolish is the person who caters entirely to this temporal world It gives only momentary pleasure and cannot bring the eternal rewards of heaven. Yeshua told us, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. You see, Yeshua encouraged us to make sure that what is in our eternal portfolio are the things that really matter to God and his kingdom. He said, Moth and rust destroy the things that are temporal. You don't have them forever. That all that glitters isn't gold. You know, we think everything that's shiny is good for us. And all the things that the world tells us we need. And we invest our times and our efforts in things that have zero eternal payoff. God is just saying, consider that. I mean, wouldn't it be... Is it, Wouldn't it be a shame? I mean, think about it. You take your whole life. Everyone in this room, I know you, you're working hard. New York, Long Island, tough place to be. You're working hard. Long hours. Not easy place. Dealing with us. Pleasant New Yorkers all the time, you know. We're a tough crowd. But wouldn't it be a shame to invest all that energy and time in the things that you're thinking are important and you get to heaven? And he says, come on in. But all that stuff you got to leave behind. You got to leave everything at the door. That wasn't... That, that's not the investment I was looking for. But come on in. You, you get to come in. That's the good news. But all those things, you don't have to burn them up. They don't make the cut. But, but, but God, but Yeshua, I spent my life in those things. Yeah, I know you did, but come on in, but just come on in.
wouldn't that be, that would be a sad day. It would be good, a good day. You got in. So I think God is just encouraging us. Take a little time and reflect and explore about your life. Each one of us in this room, each one of us are managers. Everyone. For God. He's entrusted you and me to manage his business on earth. From the most important thing, which is the Besorah, to the very minute details of life, he's given us charge to manage on his behalf. Shouldn't we consider how well we do it? I think we should. I think you will. <laughs> and I think some of us will tweak maybe our managing style to make sure that we're maximizing the things that matter most. The things that matter most. I remember saying this, and I'm going to close with this, to my kids. I've said this to my kids. It's, you know, isn't it amazing to you? It's always amazing to me. I know you want to get to the bagel, but I want to tell the story, so sorry. <laughs> you can wait another few minutes. It's amazing to me how kids, they're this big, and they come to you, right, as parents, and they have these, they drop these big things on you. And you say, how does that little person, that little mind, they're going through some real things. And I've told my kids, and I tell them the same thing to this day. The most important thing and priority that you need to concern yourself with is to make sure God is always first. If you keep God on top of your life first in everything, every other area of your life will fall into place. School's not first. Your career's not first. The things you love and enjoy aren't first. God doesn't mind that you do them, but they have to be subject to God being first. And if you keep God first your whole life, in everything you do, guess what? Your life will go well. I tell my kids that all the time because, you know, they, they have all the things that they love to do. Great. Go do them. Go be a doctor, a lawyer, an Indian chief. Whatever you want to do, go do it. But keep God first. That's the key to life. It being a faithful steward of God. His kingdom first. Him first. And then we get rewarded. We become Josephs. We get entrusted with great things. People who are earthly, even evil people, will look to us. And then we have influence. And if Joseph, by the way, saved the world. Because he was faithful. Let's stand. Let's pray. And then we could go eat. Just a shout out if you're... Uh, Going through the membership class, which I know a couple of folks are, um, you could go up to the front of the line, grab a bagel and coffee, and then you could head into the youth room, and we'll get into that. Thank you, Lord. Father, we thank you, Lord God, that uh, you have entrusted so much to us, each of us. God, you've entrusted us with your kingdom here on earth. Father, we don't always look at it like that, but that is what you've done. And it's sobering, and Lord, we, Lord, are going to take it seriously. Father, I pray today for each one that you would help them, that you would help me, my family, the family here at Beth Emanuel. Father, to make sure that in everything they do, Lord, that they would be mindful that you have entrusted them with the greatest treasures that the world has to offer, God. You really have. And, Father, I pray that each one of us 
would be empowered by your grace to faithfully administer those in Yeshua's name. Amen. I'm going to say the ironic blessing. When I do that, after the service, you go upstairs to the Oneg. Membership folks know where they're going. And the ushers have a quick meeting come up front, and you'll have that meeting, and Rabbi Carol will get you in and out of that as well. So stretch forth your hand. Yisar Adonai Panavilecha V'yisimlecha Shalom May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Father, I pray that your people will live in perfect peace. And we ask it, B'Shem Yeshua, and everyone said, Amen. Thanks for listening. Be blessed. See you upstairs.